This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Here's a 1-0. And on the crowd, Swanson, he's got it to his feet, throw the first. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and analyst at MLB.com. Joined as always by Matt Myers, MLB.com National Content Editor. Today is Monday, October 25th. That's right, a special Monday show. And that's because the World Series starts tomorrow. We've got the Braves, we've got the Astros Tuesday night, and we couldn't let the first couple games of this go by without talking about it. This is going to be... I don't know that this is the series that everybody wanted, but I think it's going to be a really fascinating series in a lot of ways, Matt, because if you think about the way that these teams got here, if you had maybe said uh, before the season started, I will pick Houston and Atlanta to meet in the World Series, I think a lot of people would have said, okay, sure, I I could see that. The Braves have won the division a couple years in a row and you know, Houston's always good. And then I think if you'd said that on like July 15th, people might have thought you were nuts. Because Acuna got injured. I mean, Houston was still playing well. The uh, the Braves this year are just the fourth team in history to reach the World Series despite having a losing record at the All-Star break. Hasn't happened since the 1991 Braves. And what do you think of it just about like the way we got here? It's kind of funny to see how the Braves have gone like so up and down. Indeed. I mean, the the... By the time the postseason started, even still, I felt like the Braves, I mean, they had 88 wins. So, like, they were sort of the, the, the low men on the totem pole in the National League. And it was sort of like, I guess, you know, these two, you know, you had an 107 win Giants team and 106 win Dodgers team. So, it felt like, you know, the, a lot of people said that, like, the DS between those two teams was kind of the World Series. And to a certain extent, like, I, it, I mean, the, the Braves benefited from that, right? There's no question that, like, the Dodgers, like, were literally worn down <laughs> by the Giants and it affected how they used their pitchers. And there was, like, a, a cascade of that. And to the Braves' credit, they took advantage. They they played well. And even, you know, after their kind of collapse in Game 5 where it looked like, uh-oh, are the Braves going to blow it to, blow it again? They came back in Game 6 and they took care of business. You know, there are connections between these teams. Um, I don't know if people know this, but Charlie Morton actually used to play for the Astros. I feel like you're going to hear that a couple of times. He's going to start game one. He was the final pitcher on the mound when the Astros won in 2017. The Astros and the Braves have met in the regular season more than 700 times. They've met the the postseason five times. Five times. People forget this. Like, I think most people remember that the Astros were in the National League. What I didn't really remember, like, I knew this was true, but I hadn't thought about it in a while, was that from 1969 to 1993, they shared the National League West together. That's right. The Atlanta Braves in your National League West, which totally made a lot of sense. 
And then, yes, they met five times in the division series um, until 2011 when the Astros then moved to the American League for the 2012 season. The other connection, I didn't realize this until just a couple minutes ago, the assistant hitting coach for the Houston Astros, Troy Snicker, is Atlanta manager Brian Snicker's son. (laughs) So there's that. Congratulations to the Snicker family and your absolutely guaranteed World Series victory. I think that's pretty fun. We're going to go through, I think, like, sort of a position by position thing, but a big picture. I want to ask you this question. When I looked at baseball prospectus this morning, they have you know the Pakoda odds for the series and they have it based on the actual starting pitchers and everything. 51 to 49 Houston, Atlanta. And then I looked at the athletic and they have, you know, like 30 or so writers who are making their predictions. 62, 38 Houston. We haven't published ours yet. I'm guessing it's going to be about the same. I would guess it's going to be like two thirds Atlanta, two thirds Houston, one third Atlanta. What is the disconnect there? Um, I think it's probably, I mean, I, I guess I, without knowing exactly what the inputs are, I mean, the Braves starting pitching is, is very good, right? And they're, they're going to be lined up to have good pitchers on full rest, which these days in the postseason is kind of a luxury and it really worked for them in the NLCS. That was kind of the big edge they had against the Dodgers and it manifested itself. Now, granted, the, the same can be said about the Astros and we'll get to more of that a little bit later, but I think that like the the floor and bo- both the floor and the ceiling of the brave starting pitchers is higher than Houston so i think that to me that's that's the difference that's um, sort of, i'm guessing that's kind of what what the what the, the prospectus numbers are seeing yeah i think you're probably right about that before we um get into this i'm just going to repeat a joke i already made on twitter because it started as like ah oh, this would be a funny thing and now i just want it to happen more than anything ever the braves should activate ronald acuña junior to dh and just let him swing. Don't let him run. Don't let him play the outfield. Come on. Don't we want don't we want stories? Are we still talking about Kirk Gibson like 30 years later? I know it's not going to happen. Give me something fun. I think it would be great. All right. Let's look at these two teams. Um, I wrote a, a position by position thing for the site yesterday. And <laughs> I found at a couple of positions, I had a really difficult time picking because a lot of the spots have you know, a couple of fantastic players. Like, for example, at second base, we'll get to Altuve and Albies. That's a tough That's a tough choice. It was tough at catcher, too, but for different reasons because neither of these catchers can really hit, right? Like, Martin Maldonado in the regular season this year had a 172 batting average, a 573 OPS, and was actually worse than that in the playoffs. And Darno, who was hurt, he hurt his finger and, you know, did not have a good season, a 74 OPS plus. And if you're watching the NLCS, it sort of looked like the finger still hurt, you know, which I cannot imagine. It's very much fun to be a catcher when your left thumb is injured as he broke it earlier in the year. There's not offense here. I went with um, Maldonado just because they speak so highly of him behind the plate as a manager of the pitchers. We saw that incredible throw he had in the strike him out, throw him out, double play. And Darno, you know, I know a lot of this goes back to what the pitchers do, but man, the Dodgers really ran wild on, on the Braves, didn't they? They did. Although I will say this, I mean, the, 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 the Astros do not run at all as a team. They had 53 stolen bases total, which was like third worst in baseball. And their, their leader in stolen bases with 17, Miles Straw, who is not even on the team anymore and hasn't been on the team <laughs> since July. So uh, Kyle Tucker had 14 stolen bases this year. Uh, no one else had more than five. So they're actually not a team that's really going to take advantage of 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 Darno, or they don't seem to be a team that's going to take advantage of Darno. That said, I I agree with you. I think that like you know, for doing you know, kind of seeing which team has kind of the edge here. 
they're not going. The Braves are not going to. Stolen bases are a little bit a part of their game, and they'd like to be aggressive where they can. And they're not going to run on Maldonado. He's he's like legitimately fun to watch throw, and has been for a year. Like so, it's it's um it's the the smallest of edges, but th- these are not going to be the players that swing the series. Yeah, and if we're going to do tiebreakers here, Machete is a deeply cool <laughs> nickname. So <laughs> yes, confirmed. Hu- huge edge there. Um, okay, first base I actually found tough because if you just go by like you know star power. Freddie Freeman is an enormous superstar and has been for the last 10 years. Still stunning that he remains unsigned for next year. That's a problem for a couple weeks from now, I guess. And I was a little surprised to see that Yuli Gurriel had more or less the same season. You know, it didn't hit as many home runs or anything, but in terms of OPS plus is basically identical. And I guess you can say with Freeman, well, I got off to a slow start and he was better down the stretch. And that's true. But Gurriel was pretty good. I went with Freeman like as my edge, but really not by a lot. And it was that gap that stunned me. The fact that it really wasn't a big difference. I think the gap is a little bigger like, than I think maybe you're kind of giving him credit for. I mean, this doesn't mean Gurley Earl is not a, a good player. He is also like, I think a lot of people don't realize because he didn't sign until he was like 30 that he's 37 years old. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's pretty impressive how well he's sort of, you know, aged his last couple of years. Um, he's really been at the top of his game, but his power has really kind of diminished. Uh, you know, in 2019, he hit 31 homers. This year, he only hit 15. So he's a good player, but like to me, like it's, you know, Freeman is, is a true difference maker. At shortstop, I think this is the opposite for me because I feel like there are a lot of people who say, oh, this is kind of close. Like, you know, Dansby Swanson had 27 home runs and he plays a good defense. And that's true. But I think it's like kind of a massive gap here because Carlos Correa is a better defender. He gets on base a whole lot better. He had like a 50-point edge and on base percentage, and he outslugged him by like 40 points. And if you care about what you've done in the postseason, which I generally try not to, but it's unavoidable when we get to Eddie Rosario, Swanson's been terrible. So, I, I mean, huge edge for the Astros here. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, Swanson is, he's hes basically, he's got, he can hit for power and that's basically, he'll hit some home runs and that's really all he brings on offense. A stellar defender, uh, to be clear, but I, I'm with you and I, it's, I'm I'm always torn on on this because like you know the whole thing you know discussion of clutch and who's not but like the the track record for Correa in the postseason now you know if nothing else the psychology of like when he's at the plate like there's no question that there's a there's a feeling of confidence of like okay here's a guy I want in a big spot and you know call me like a I don't know a weenie for for saying that or whatnot but I think that like there's there's something to that and he definitely has whatever it is. Swanson was the number one overall pick in the 2015 draft. The number two pick that year was Alex Bregman. Uh, Kyle Tucker was the number five overall pick. So that's maybe a a top five we'll have to revisit someday. And Alex Bregman for a couple of years, I think had ascended to like true superstardom. You know, if you look at like 18 and 19, he put up eight win seasons because he was blasting like 31 homers the first year and 41 homers the next year. And it was clear at the time a little bit was, you know, he was really good at hitting balls into the short left field in Houston. And we know that the ball those years was, you know, really uh, worked out for trying to hit for power. And I was kind of surprised when I looked at him over the last two years and he's been okay. You know, he's been like 15 to 20% above average both last season and this season, which isn't bad by any means. Um, But his slugging percentage has dropped by like 130 points from his peak. Meanwhile, on the other side, Austin Riley came into the year and you weren't even sure he was going to be the guy because he'd been super inconsistent at the third base. Well, he had like an MVP caliber season. He won't win it. He'll finish like fifth or whatever. And I was surprised at how easily I ended up picking Riley over Bregman here. 
Yeah, I, I I was sort of surprised when I saw it as well. But as you dig into it, I can see it. I also like in the postseason, Riley's made some really nice plays on defense, like sort of surprisingly yeah. so. And so that's that's also like you know made me feel a little bit better about him, you know, as an all around player. Because for you know, it, it, I wasn't I was never certain what he was going to bring on defense, but it really feels like he's really cleaned things up over there and has made some made some nice nice plays. So I, I I get it. I mean, I could understand. I mean, in when the Astros were winning the World Series in and they went in 17 and even in 18. Bregman, in addition to hitting, he just made like a bunch of just like like he he seemed like he made just like winning plays. Like I remember there was a one play against the Yankees. I think it was the 17 LCS where he like there was a grounder to third and he like grabbed it and just fired home and made like the most perfect throw. I, I can't even remember. I want to say I want to say it was like Brian McCann running. It's almost hard to believe. Like, <laughs> he might still be running. <laughs> but it was like one of those plays where just so few players would have had the instincts, just like the like the the instincts and the skill just to like make that read and the throw so perfectly. And he just felt like he had that kind of that 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 little that it factor about being able to affect games in a variety of ways. But the the, the diminishing power, I can see. I, I definitely understand giving giving the seeing why the, the the Braves have the the edge here. By the way, you skipped second base. I uh, did. I skip second base. Okay. Well, we'll go back to second base because I totally did. You know what it was? I saw Swanson, and I was like, oh, Bregman. We'll do the top five thing. Um, we'll go back to second base real quick, though. I know someone's going to be like, oh, you know, you guys are talking about an Astro who was great in seventeen and eighteen and less great now. <laughs> We're not naive. Obviously, everybody knows the history of the Astros, but. When Correa has still been great and Altuve still been great and Springer went to Toronto and he's still been great. I'm not going to put too much on all that history in terms of what has happened to Alex Bergman. I feel like that's just, it's, it's trying to fit an answer to a narrative, which isn't there. I did skip second base. We should go back to that. Um, I'm already pre annoyed. I think at how much talk we're going to get this week of, Hey, did you know that the two second basemen are really short? Neither of them are very big. Um, those guys combined for 61 home runs this year. Right? Like Altuve crushes baseballs. Ozzy Albi crushes baseballs. You know, like I don't, this is one of the great things about this game is that sure, a power hitter can look like Aaron Judge or John Carlos Stan, right? A power hitter can also look like Mookie Betts or Jose Altuve. You know, just we're going to, we're definitely going to talk too much about it. And it's going to overlook how good both of these guys are. And Albi's also stole 20 bases. You know, they're both pretty good on defense. I went with uh, Altuve over Albies, though, not really because of the home run totals, because they're similar, um, but just because Altuve gets on base a whole lot more often. Albies on base percentage was 310. Altuve's was 350. That's a pretty sizable gap for me. Yeah. And I mean, Altuve, it's a little bit similar to Correa, where like they just like the track record now of postseason performance is pretty incredible. The fact that he has 21 postseason homers, like it's one of those stats I like cannot fully wrap my head around that Jose Altuve in his career has 21 postseason homers. I know like the expanded playoffs have sort of like warped our view of, you know, postseason records. We're now going on what 30 25 years of uh of of you know, the wild card. So it's like we have, we now have a pretty long you know, track record of, of great players, Hall of Fame level players who've had to, who've had a chance to play entirely in this expanded playoff era and the fact that he has, I think he's now third all time behind, I think Manny Ramirez has the most at 29. I want to say Bernie Williams with 22. Um, it's, I, I can't, I can't, every time they, they flash that, I just, I can't get over it. I'm not going to put you on the spot so much to actually make you definitively answer this question, but there's a decent possibility that these are the two best infields in baseball, right? Like each, each side has four star level players. And I looked it up before. If you just look at like highest 
weighted runs created plus from infielders. You know, number one is Toronto because Vlad Jr. was nuts and Simeon was nuts and Bichette was nuts, but their third basemen weren't very good, you know? And then the next two teams were the Dodgers and Giants who obviously have stars, but a ton of moving parts. And then it was Houston and Atlanta and they're different in that they don't really have the moving parts. They're not mixing guys in. It's not platooning in and out. It is consistently, here are the four guys. You know, I know Bregman was hurt and missed a little bit of time, but otherwise these are the four starters. Unless someone gets like seriously injured, I cannot imagine one of these guys not starting. Like we're not platooning out against the lefty. And I think that's that's cool to see. So it, would you pick one infield over the other? Um, ooh, that's, that's, um, that's a great question. I think I would take the Astros, but it's close. And I, but you hit on a, you hit on a good point there, though. Is like this is where this series really differs from, you know, what we saw some in some of the earlier rounds. Like the Dodgers changed their lineup a lot. The Giants changed their lineup a lot. You know, platoons moving guys around at different positions. Same thing with the Rays. Like these two teams, it, this is it's a little more classic of just like, hey, I'm going to put my my nine best nine best guys in the field against your nine best guys and we're gonna we're gonna see who's better so it's like a little bit of a different vibe from this series from what we've seen in previous rounds and a lot of recent postseasons well i think that's true in the infield not necessarily so much in the outfield uh, at least for the braves so we'll get to that in a second we will take a quick break and we'll be back on the mlb.com ballpark connections podcast Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. We are doing our World Series preview, and we're kind of going through each of the positions here. We're going to move on to the outfield, and there's no other way to start than with this. Is Eddie Rosario the best player who's ever played for the Braves or the best player who's ever played baseball, period? Because that's going to be the number. This is going to be such a giant like philosophical argument over who is hot do you believe that someone is hot? Does being hot for two weeks guarantee you'll be hot for going forward? Do you think people remember that Kike Hernandez looked incredible and then did nothing for like the last four games in the ALCS? I don't think people are going to remember that, but it also won't matter if Eddie Rosario can continue to be insanely good for like three more days. So I had a hunch about this a couple hours ago and you know, I was like, try, I've been thinking about Eddie Rosario. I'm like, how can we get to like discussing Rosario in a way that doesn't feel like we're just like, you know, I don't want to feel like I'm crapping on Eddie Rosario. It's a great story. A couple things. He's been a pretty good player for a while. Like he hit in the middle of the order for the Twins, drove in a bunch of runs, hit a bunch of homers. He was like a pretty good player. Was terrible for the first couple months for the Indians this year. Ended up basically being traded to the Braves for nothing and obviously went nuts in the LCS. So we, I asked uh, Jason Bernard, who's – I don't even know how to describe him, but he's just um, – a star of our, our 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 data our data team here, working very closely with Tom Tango, to see if he could look at just run a query for me of all LCS MVPs hitters to see how LCS MVPs subsequently performed in the World Series. Just to sort of say, like, you know, how do we sort of just show that, like, most likely what's going to happen this week is Eddie Renario is not going to play as well, and it's like not because he lost some magic, you know, not because he stinks, just like. This is what happens. And it turned out to even be more glaring than I even thought. 
of the every let's see we have since 1999 we have 30 hitters who have won LCS MVP in either league and of the 30 28 of them have seen their OPS go down in the World Series and most of them by like a significant significant <laughs> amount. Yeah. Let's let's quantify this briefly. So that's true, but there's also like if you have let's say David Freeze in 2011 where your OPS in the in the LCS was 1691 and then in the World Series it was still 1160. Like no one's going to say, fair. "Oh, that guy's fair." This However, is fair. Here's what I did while you were talking, okay? Of those guys, the 30 hitters that you were mentioning, you know, the LCS MVPs since 1999 in the LCS, their average OPS was 1208, 1,200, very big, right? Their average OPS in the World Series, 695, <laughs> which is like <laughs> half. And yeah, some guys were still great. Like David Ortiz in 2004 is a great example, right? He was great against the Yankees. He was great against the Cardinals, both of them last year, Seager and Rosarena, both great in the World Series. I don't want to say this can't ever happen. For sure. In fact, interestingly enough, of, of, the, of our sample, Rosarena and Seeger are the only two players who went on to have a higher OPS in the World Series than they did in the LCS. Um, but uh, but yeah, exactly. I'm not saying it, it is impossible for for Eddie Rosario to have a, to have a good uh, a good World Series, mind you. But I'm I'm taking the under on whatever whatever you think his OPS is, uh, average fan. I'm taking the under uh, on that for the World Series. I don't know if you already saw this in our shared notes doc, and I hope you didn't. Do you know what Eddie Rosario's batting average on balls in play was in the NLCS? I didn't. I did not see. So it hit me. Five eighty nine. <laughs> more than half the time he hit the ball, and it didn't go over the fence. Like more than half the time he hit the ball in play, it landed for a hit. I'm gonna take the under on that. So I went. Um, I'm glad you had Jason do this. I went a slightly different approach. So he had 28 plate appearances in the ALCS, and he reached 17 times. He had a 607 on base percentage. And I thought, okay, well, let's find guys who did exactly that in the 2021 season. 607 on base percentage in 28 plate appearances, getting on 17 out of 28 times. Eight guys did that. And there are seven big names and also Jace Peterson, um, like, you know, Vlad Jr. and Jose Ramirez and Joey Votto, a bunch of guys did it. And um, those guys afterwards, I looked at like their next five games. So, you know, 15, 20 plate appearances, they averaged a 302 on base and a 674 slugging. Again, like it doesn't have to happen this way. Like Jose Ramirez was still very good after the stretch. You know, Vlad Jr. was terrible. But I agree with you that if you're going into this thinking, well, Eddie Rosario's red hot, he's definitely going to continue to be red hot. I completely disagree. And not to take anything away from him, but some of the pitch sequence choices by the Dodgers against him were just infuriating. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, yeah, like, I mean that, that the Walker Bueller one. <laughs> That was it was strange and it was funny because like I was watching that at bat and it was just like he kept feeding him the same stuff in the same location and Rosario kept fouling it right back and it was clear that he was like kind of on it and it was just like some sort of off speed or just anything anywhere different in any location would be like welcome right now. It was it was it was unusual because you know Bueller is obviously an excellent pitcher and usually a very savvy pitcher. It was a it was it was a strange sequence as you said and Rosario made him pay to his credit like. He, to his credit, he was definitely timing it, and he was on it, and he crushed it, and that was the those were the, those three runs were the difference in the, in the, in game six. Anyway, are you taking the best two weeks of Eddie Rosario's entire existence, or the consistent quote unquote professional hitterishness of Michael Brantley? Well, not to mention the fact, and this is one of the more interesting storylines of the series in the National League games in the game, games three, four, and five, if necessary, 
there's a good chance it's going to be Jordan Alvarez playing left field for the Houston Astros. I don't. I think. I, I think that they're going to want to get his bat in the lineup, right? And so he's going to end up playing left field, and Brantley's going to end up being benched. And you could say, oh, Alvarez, he's not a very good left fielder. That's going to cost them, and that very well might be right. And he's certainly not nearly as good of a left fielder of, as Brantley as Rosario. But neither of them are very good fielders either. So it's not like right. there's this like huge edge where it's like, oh, Eddie Rosario's got this amazing range. You know, it's so uh, the combination of Brantley and Alvarez, I think, gets the edge. I'm wait of those three, Alvarez is has the highest. You know, the 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 baseline for Alvarez is the highest of the three, and it's not even really close. Yeah, in the National League games, I'm sure Dusty Baker won't enjoy having to write out a lineup without Michael Brantley in it. But man, is he going to like being able to call Michael Brantley off the bench? Like, how unfair is that? Exactly, and that, I mean, he's exactly the kind of hitter I want available as a you know as a luxury as a luxury pinch hitter is uh, is Michael Brantley. Uh, moving on to center field, and boy, the Braves have gone through a lot of center fielders this year. It was going to be, I guess, uh, Christian Pache to start, and then that didn't work out, and then Acuna played there, but he got hurt. And the guy who actually played the most there, uh, Guillermo Heredia, but it's not going to be any of those guys. It's going to be Adam Duvall, who hit 38 home runs this year. Like He had a really great year, uh, but he also had a 287 on base percentage, <laughs> so, or at least it did with the Braves. I mean, that's, that's going to be a big drawback to his power-hitting capabilities. And then in center field for the Astros, they've also had a lot of turnover. As you said, it was Miles Straw. And he got traded for Phil Maton. And so Chaz McCormick, who had been riding the bench for like four months, he didn't start his first consecutive games in center until August. And then he got hurt. And Jake Meyer was out there a little bit. And Jose Siri was out there a little bit. But we're not sure if Meyer is going to play. Like he missed the whole LCS with a shoulder injury. So it might be some Siri, but I think it's going to be mostly McCormick. And the thing that stood out to, to me about him he is a fantastic defensive outfielder. I'm talking about like, if you look at outs above average, like top five among outfielders, and he barely even played this year. You know, that stood out to me. And it always seems like in these series, there's one big defensive play that turns everything around. I don't really look at the Atlanta outfield defense as a strength. It's kind of their biggest weakness. Um, but if you've got, you know, McCormick out there, well, maybe he picks up for some of the issues that Jordan Alvarez will bring. I think McCormick is, is maybe the player most likely to sort of like have a a play that makes you know casual baseball fans watching the World Series who haven't watched the Astros this year be like, who is this guy? Because like he's probably he's probably the least famous player on either of these either of these starting lineups, and he definitely, as you said, he has a clear elite skill in his defense. So uh, I think he's someone that could kind of pop a little bit just because of going from complete unknown to hey, wow, that guy. Um, yeah, I think. I want to give them the edge. I don't think I wrote it that way, but I, I'm very into what McCormick's going to be able to do. So right field is interesting too, because for the Braves, you know, Jorge Soler was the guy who kind of came and took it over after after Acuna got hurt. And then he missed a lot of the playoffs with COVID issues and then he got his back. But now it's like, well, yeah, Jock Peterson and his pearl necklace are out there and you're not going to bench Jock Peterson. They'll have the DH for the first two games, which we'll get to in a second. But in right field, I think Kyle Tucker is like, the seventh most famous Astros hitter, and he had the best year of anybody. I, I I was looking this up the other day. If you look at, I think these are three pretty important skills, right? Hard hit rate and strikeout rate and uh, outs above average, so defense. If you do all three of those things well, you're probably going to have a good season. There were only three qualified players who were in the 80th percentile or better in all three of those things. Kyle Tucker, Juan Soto, and Manny Machado which is pretty high company to me. Yeah, he's he's really good and I think that like there's there's a there's a there's a an obvious world in which like Kyle Tucker wins World Series MVP and suddenly it's like, "Oh, this guy 
this guy might now actually be the Astros' best player, and that's kind of crazy to think about. But that's how good and deep this team is. You mentioned Jack Peterson. I wanted to bring up one fun Jack Peterson fact that um, our own Sarah Langs wrote about today. I don't know if you saw this. He has the chance to become just the ninth player ever to win the World Series in two straight years with two different teams, um, which is kind of cool. But it, it's, it's become a lot more common in recent years because obviously there's a lot more player player movement. You know, it, it basically happened like twice. The first time it happened was 1947-1948, and then it basically barely happened. And it's, now it's happened three times in the last ten years. Wait, can I give a can I give a guess at a name because I haven't read this? Is um, was, did Jack Morris do it back to back Twins Blue Jays? That is correct. Yes. Very, very nice. All um, right. Um, you, can you name the, the most recent uh, person to do it? Oh, give me like a year frame here. Uh, 2015, 2016. Oh, Wade Davis. No, he went the other way. It was someone who went from, oh, um, Ben Zobrist. There you go. There ben you go. Zobrist. Uh, right. Once I know the teams, it's easy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> other notable recent names to do it. Jake Peavy with the 13 Red Sox and 14 Giants and and Ryan Terrio with the 2011 Cardinals and 2012 <laughs> Ryan Giants. Terrio. Definitely what we all remember Ryan Terrio for. <laughs> um, we did, so we both pick in Houston and right field, right? Like, yes. Yeah, okay. And the, the, pitching is, the pitching is where it gets interesting, right? Well, it is. Let's do DH real quick, right? Uh, oh, yeah. The, the Braves will probably, I guess, go with Jorge Soler. I mean, maybe Peterson, but it seems to me like Soler is the weakest uh, defender, right? So he's... I don't know what to make of him. He'd been very good after they got him and he missed all that time. We just haven't seen him. Also, it doesn't matter because Jordan <laughs> Alvarez is like a top five hitter in baseball. To me. So let me ask you this. I'm not sure if I believe that uh, Eddie Rosario can stay as hot as he was in the LCS. I absolutely believe that Jordan Alvarez can. And that's what I was getting at before. Like there's like, you could easily argue he's the best hitter in this series as like as a baseline. Like he's he's that good, right? Like I think he's proven now at this point the 2020 you know blip was a blip for him, and that that you know this is this is who he is, which is like superstar DH, which there aren't that many of anymore. But that's that's what he is now in the you know the kind of classic David Ortiz mold. But like that's what he is, and I, I I'm with you. All right, we'll take another quick break, and we will come back and look at the pitching staffs for the Astros and the Braves. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. We are looking ahead to the World Series, and we're moving on to the pitching staffs. Another similarity that both of these teams have is that they're likely to be without one of their very best starting pitchers. Mike Soroka, obviously, uh, has been dealing with the after effects of his Achilles injury for about two years now. Lance McCullers injured his arm earlier in the playoffs, and we don't have official word that he's not on the playoff roster yet for the World Series, but I cannot imagine he's pitching. And so what we're left with are two very different rotations. So you may remember that the Houston rotation in the ALCS should have single-handedly sunk the ship. In the first four games, they did not get through three innings, 
even once. And I, I have said this on Twitter multiple times. Everyone gets all angsty about how starting pitchers are not going deep in the playoffs. And we can talk about whether that's aesthetically pleasing or whether the strategy works. I can absolutely guarantee you Dusty Baker did not sit down and say, you know what I hope happens? I hope none of my starters get through three innings in the first four games. They were generally terrible, you know? And now to their credit, from Valdez came back in game five and he looked great. And Luis Garcia came back in game six and he looked unbelievable. But man, there's a lot of uncertainty here. And I didn't even mention Zach Granke, who I love, but do not trust whatsoever right now. Yeah, I'm not sure what they're going to do with Granke, but at least the, the Astros, are, I think, are actually in a pretty good spot right now just because of how... Framber Valdez and Luis Garcia pitched in the last two games of that series because that has to give you a lot of confidence. Like Garcia, you know, going into that last game, game six, I was like, I don't know what to expect of him. He had left game two with like a complaining of a sore hip and he just did not look right at oh, all. Knee. Was it sore knee, knee wasn't it? Or, yeah. Knee, I forgot yeah. what it was. But like, but then he, you know, he was, you know, had a no hitter going into the six or whatever and he looked, he looked fantastic. So you, you have to feel a lot more confident about about the Astros, the Astros pitching staff now after, you know, especially after, as you said, as I said, as Valdez pitched so well in the game before that. So you have Valdez and Garcia lined up for game one and two. And from an Astros perspective, like you have to feel pretty good about that. What I'm curious to see if what the Braves are going to do, especially in game one with Farmer Valdez, is that they have, um, they've been having Eddie Rosario lead off with Freddie Freeman hitting second. And I'm curious if they will split up, split up those two lefties um, with the left-handed Valdez pitching, because Ozzy Albies, who they've been hitting third, hits much better from the right side. Great that I could see them just going with a if it's not broken, don't don't fix it. But I actually felt like them stacking those two lefties almost got them in trouble with the Dodgers the other day um, when they could have brought in Vesia, but that's a whole other separate separate conversation. Not that Vesia pitched that well in Game Six, to be fair. <laughs> um, but um, that's one thing I'm curious to see in uh, in Game One if the if the Braves will tweak their lineup to account for. Uh, the lefty pitching. This is actually an interesting point because this is where the DH comes into play because they have to staff another bat because generally I think, you know, this is the only left-handed starter that the Astros will throw. You'd probably prefer not to have Jock Peterson hitting there, but since you need to have a DH, you probably do have to have Peterson playing right field. I don't want to say it's a drawback to have a DH, but it's just like another aspect. I, I guess they could, they could try and go for Bextra defense and play Heredia, Guillermo Heredia in center field, but I doubt yes. they'll do that. No, that's, I don't think they'll do that either. So the Braves rotation is a little more traditional, right? Like Charlie Morton has been a dude forever and he's going to start game one. And then you've got Ian Anderson and Max Fried, who are obviously, you know, very different kind of pitchers. Um, Ian Anderson threw like 60% changeups against the Dodgers the other day. Uh, if you watched that game, the first couple innings, he was not throwing anything for strikes. And the famously disciplined Dodgers lineup could not stop themselves from going after those changeups. And I just, I don't think that's a good approach against this, the Astros lineup, you know, like nobody in baseball strikes out less often than these guys do. I feel like if you don't challenge them a little bit, uh, they will spit on that and then they will end up with a ton of guys on base. But I like Anderson a lot and I like Max Fried a lot. And if you're rooting for, you know, a quote unquote traditional rotation, um, those three combined have a 327 postseason ERA. I don't know who's going to start game four. Houston doesn't know who's going to start game four. Who, which team this postseason had a fourth starter? But half of them didn't have three starters. So I don't care about that. Can you bring back Morton? Maybe we'll see how it goes. Don't worry about game four till this weekend, I guess. I um I like a lot of things about both of them, but I'm a little more comfortable with maybe the reliability of Atlanta's. Yeah, no, I think I, I said that earlier. They have a higher floor and a higher ceiling. That's I mean, that to me, that's that's probably 
the the biggest edge that they have is that they're both staffs both in this series both starting pitching staffs are coming in rested but not only is Atlanta's rested you just have to feel a lot more confident about them in general you know obviously Freed was not very good in his last start against the Dodgers but the Dodgers are also a good offense and I you know I, I feel pretty confident about that. I mean the, the the Astros will probably score runs on anyone because they're that good but uh if you're going to go in as, as the Braves you feel pretty good set up the way they are. Speaking of um, the hot hand, which we talked about with Rosario, do you know how many Braves fans I heard from this morning claiming that AJ Minter and Tyler Matzik are the two best relievers in baseball? <laughs> and like, hey, I get it. What Tyler Matzik did against the Dodgers, particularly just blowing fastballs past Mookie Betts is one of the best hitters in baseball. Even if you didn't know anything about his story, which we've talked about before, you know, first round pick, out of baseball, independent league, all of it. Just watching that was amazingly incredible now i'm interested to know if the heavy workload will catch up to him he has pitched and feels like every single game of the postseason i don't think that's actually true but i think he, he just he missed game five i think that's it that's it exactly right um aj minter has been very good but doesn't exactly have the consistent track record uh will smith is weird because he does have the track record except for this season he never felt very good this season and he's been great in the playoffs i those guys that i just mentioned there matzik minter and smith they have one thing in common they're all left-handed. So if you have a situation where you're Brian Snicker and you need to get a big out and you'd really like to have a right-handed pitcher in, your options are Jesse Chavez or Luke Jackson. I guess Chris Martin maybe, who's been okay. That, that to me is the biggest weakness. I love their lefty relievers. I don't know about their right-handed relievers. Yeah, and, and, we, and also, we, you know, I think in the last podcast we talked about this as it related to to the the Astros when the, with the Chris Sale decision is that the Astros have a very they they bounce it's, it's lefty righty all the way down and it's good hitters basically until you get to the eighth spot in the lineup like like above average hitters until you get to the eighth spot in the lineup so they're really hard to sort of create matchups against because no matter what with because of the three batter minimum even if you bring in a lefty like oh I'm bringing in the lefty to face to face Brantley here oh but he's definitely gonna have to at least face Bregman you know or bring in the lefty to face Alvarez oh he's gonna have to at least face face Correa coming up right behind him so that's where the, and from a matchup standpoint, I think the the um, the uh, the Astros have a little bit of an edge. Yeah, I think that they've got maybe a little bit of a lesser known bullpen too, because for the first half of the season, uh, I remember looking at them and going, "Okay, love Ryan Presley. He's fantastic. He's one of the best relievers in baseball." And I'm terrified by everybody else. And this didn't quite get the notice that Alex Anthopoulos did when he remade the Atlanta outfield. But they went out and they made some moves, you know, to get some interesting new relievers there. So they traded Miles Straw to Cleveland for Phil Maton, who I like. And he's actually pretty useful, even though he's a righty against lefties as well. They went out and they uh, traded for Kendall Graveman. You mostly remember that deal because all the Mariners players absolutely hated it. But, you know, they got Abraham Toro out of it. And Graveman's been pretty good you know, out of the bullpen for, for Houston. So if you look at who they've got... Uh, you know, you've got Maton, you've got Presley, you've got Graveman, you've got Yimi Garcia. Uh, we don't know what, you know, Zach Greinke will do. Christian Javier is there. And from the left-hand side, Braley uh, and Taylor. I, I, it's a much more balanced bullpen, as you said. Yeah. And, and Javier, I think it's like, you know, he's he's been great in the playoffs and he also can give you a little bit of a little bit of length um, coming out of the pen. So I think that he, you, you mostly, I don't, to me, I'm watching Javier and how much he pitches in game three because you basically don't want to pitch him at all in game three you could feel like you can use him for an extended stint in one or two and then have to give him a couple of days of rest so that in game four when you know you're almost good, certainly going to need a lot of relievers he's available to you yeah that's right the other thing too uh just going back to the braves real quick if you look at their their lefty heavy bullpen 
the matchups aren't necessarily in their favor against the Astros because the Astros lefty hitters like Alvarez and Tucker, they don't have these huge splits that a lot of like Jock Peterson does, right? You saw Alvarez against Chris Sale. (laughs) He was pounding him all over the place. I don't necessarily think bringing in a lefty against guys like that is is like the obvious play. I mean, they'll do it anyway because that's their best pitchers, but I don't think it'll gain them necessarily the platoon edge that you might expect. So I went with the Astros here partially because of that, but this is like razor thin. I don't actually love either bullpen that much, but forced to pick, I kind of went with the Astros. It's 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 pretty close because also it's like so much of this is like what do you, as you kind of alluded to with with Minter and Matzik like what is their true talent level they're good I've always been a big big AJ Minter fan and Matzik's obviously been fantastic this postseason like what is what is the real you know Tyler Matzik and Will Smith was a roller coaster ride all season long and he's actually been like the best version of himself in the postseason so. I, to me, it's kind of a coin flip with the bullpens. So I think you, I think you you could probably convince me either way. Before we get to predictions, I wanted to point out one interesting stat that I looked up earlier. Since July 1st, the Astros and the Braves have shifted more often than every other team in baseball except for the Dodgers. They're number two and number three. I just want you to keep that in mind when they shift and like one thing goes wrong and we talk about that and not like the nine things that went right that helped these teams get to the playoffs. That's exactly how it always works every single year. I don't have a good feeling about this this one. Like, you know, I mean, they're two good teams, obviously. I think you can look past Atlanta's 88 win regular season record because they were really like not so great in the first half. And it's not just like a hot streak in the playoffs. They've been playing well for some time. I think I'm going Astros in six. I mean, I, I, I basically I feel the same way. I think just the Astros lineup. I can't just I just keep going back to how good that lineup is, and the fact that they were able to get their pitchers lined up, even if they're not as good as the Brave pitchers, at least should give them some stability to get through the series. I think the the Braves did a fantastic job of kind of capitalizing the fact that the Dodgers had to start with a bullpen game and obviously a a diminished Max Scherzer. And to their credit, they took advantage of that and won the series. But they're not going to have that luxury against the Astros, who have. I said it before the playoffs, and I still obviously believe it, the best lineup uh, in the playoffs. And so I will I think the Astros will win in six or seven games. I was going to say, if you said Astros in six, just after I did, I would have to call you an absolute coward. Like, we got to have something different. So let's say Astros in seven for you. But we'll be back in a couple of days on, on Thursday on the off day to check it out because I can't imagine it's going to be, oh, I don't know, maybe it'll be 2 nothing at that point, but I sort of feel like it's going to start off with a split, and then the Astros are going to run with it after that. Um, but I guess we will find out. That will do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, please leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. We will see you on Thursday.